0: Well good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. Thank you for taking the time to join us. I hope that our program is encouragement to you. Uh, This is one of many programs that are available on the website of the Coming Home Network International, chnetwork.org. I'm Marcus Grodi, the founder and president of the Coming Home Network, and I'm joined today by my oldest son, John Mark, who's the uh, chief operating officer of the Coming Home Network. How are you doing today, John Mark?
1: Doing well, doing well. I think we're Wow, we're on the home stretch of Lent. Can't believe it's gone so fast.
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, it's just amazing how quickly Lent goes, and then how quickly I, I fail to keep my uh, my convictions <laughs> in Lent. And which, as I think about it, really does connect with the uh, the topic that I suggested we look at today, John Mark. And uh, uh, again. Uh, as we're in Lent, especially those that are Catholic, we're much more familiar with Lent, maybe almost too much so. Happens every year. I'm 67. It's happened many years for me. Um, And maybe it comes and goes so quickly and kind of like the first day of the year when we have all our resolutions and we have all these plans and then, uh, you know, come January 6th, uh, we've already forgotten them all. So to what extent does Lent truly accomplish what it needs to in our lives? And I would say in general, even I, was, I just recently visited a non-Catholic church on a Sunday. I took my mother, my wife, and I took my, my mother-in-law to her old Methodist church that she hadn't been to in years, partially because of her dementia. And uh, she was absolutely surrounded by people Um, that loved her and and, uh, welcomed her, Uh, and they mentioned it was Lent, and I was surprised that the Methodist Church talked about Lent. So, I mean, it's kind of getting out there uh, after all these years of separation. But there are obvious things when we think about cleaning up our life during this time of Lent. Certain sins that's going to jump out at us, Um, and so that's why we have confession and other things. What we're going to deal about today is with five sins that maybe most of us don't think it applies to us, or maybe we don't think about. But I would propose that the five sins that we're going to look at today are maybe some of the most prevalent sins in the lives of Christians not just Catholics but Catholics and non-Catholics in fact i would propose that they are v- very prevalent in the majority of people who attend worship on any given
1: sunday and they're kind of um, as you'll see they there's sort of this constellation of of root sins you know the underlying dispositions uh, that that maybe you know lie beneath are more obvious sins. We tend to think of of obvious actions, you know, the big, you know, active conscious choices. But there's also the the rooted dispositions underneath, and we some of the the little things that come out of those and that play into those dispositions are easy to not take as seriously. Um. Yeah, anyway, yeah, we're gonna yeah. dig into those a bit.
0: And the way we're going to jump into it today is a little from a different angle. We're going to approach it th- primarily through the catechism. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that that the scriptures are a part of a wider apostolic deposit that we have received from Christ through his apostles. Uh, just recently I read a book from cover to cover for the first time. I had read parts of it, but I just read Saint Arnaeus's against heresies, and I, I consider it an extremely important book to read. It's I hesitate to recommend that because it ain't an easy book. Mainly mm. because he's dealing with the heresies of the second century, and the, for the so a lot you got to dig through a lot of pages. But when you get in there, you find yourself dipping into the end of the second century of the church, mm. and you're you're hearing what life was like in the earliest days of the church by a man who was converted by a man whose name was Polycarp, mm-hmm. who himself was converted by a man by the name of John, yeah. who was converted by a man by the name of Jesus. And so we have in Irenaeus, he learned it from Polycarp, who learned it from John, who learned it from Jesus. So the apostolic tradition mm-hmm was passed on to Irenaeus. And so, but you see in Irenaeus in the second century, when you look at the index, he quotes almost every New Testament book Hmm. in his big treatise. And he recognizes that these scriptures written down by the apostles, the gospels and their letters, are a part of this apostolic tradition, this faith that we've received. And he says they first preached it and then they wrote it down. And so that's what we have. So when we look at the catechism, what we're doing is we're looking at how the scripture is understood in the life of the church, how this apostolic tradition applies to it. That's why it's so we can go to the scriptures first and then use, or we can go to the catechism and see how it expands on scripture. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we, we really would recommend that everyone have a catechism and everyone read it. Um, it's, you know, it's the sort of book you pick up and it's, it's big and it's dense and it's intimidating. Uh, A few things, uh, you you will find in it that if you actually start digging in, maybe, maybe start with a few topics, you know, look through the index, find some topics that are of interest to you. You'll find it actually remarkably clear and, and easy to read, it's a, a very beautiful collection, not just of commentary, but also of, you know, key scriptures and key um, uh, excerpts from the the, the the fathers of the church, um, whether you're coming from, whether you're a lifelong Catholic or you're one of, you know, many of the members of the Coming Home Network that have come or are coming from a, a non-Catholic Christian denomination, uh, it's really worth digging into the catechism to see how rooted in scripture it is, to see how I think how well it pulls together all these threads of, of you know, the, 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 the tradition, you know, the deposit of faith, you know, that is, In fact that the church you, has, yeah.
0: When you turn to the very first sentence of the catechism, page yeah. one,
1: mm-hmm. John
0: Paul's introduction, the first line he says, the purpose of the church is to guard the deposit of faith. Right. That's the right. purpose. And so that's yeah. what the catechism is.
1: Yeah. If you go to chnetwork.org slash read, um, that'll take you to a page about uh, the guide that you put together, the guide originally, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a reading guide. It's a, it's a simple plan. You can download the PDF or, or buy a, a, cop, a cardstock copy of the guide and stick it in your Bible or your catechism. It's a it's a nice way to kind of break down uh, different parts of Scripture and the catechism into a plan where you could read through the entire catechism mm-hmm. and Scripture in a year, and it, and it really, it, it puts it in bite-sized chunks that make it very easy to start proceeding through both. And in a so way, check that out, that's chnetwork.org slash read. Great, John Mark. In a way, what we're doing today is,
0: I've read the Catechism several times, as you have, John Mark, and what I find is, every time I read it, I find I get confronted by a different thing in the same way that I read scripture. You read it through, cover to cover, every year or two, And you'll come back to the same verse, you'll see it, and it might catch you a different way because of the situation you find your life in. So that's where we're at today. And what we're looking at in the Catechism is section, we're going to look at specifically section 2093 and 94. This is in the third section of the Catechism. And if you're finding your heart awake, Difficult to get around your catechism. You can also go on CH Network and buy the catechism tabs, which yep. we sell, which help you find the parts of the catechism. And also,
1: as well too, if you're listening, you can just search for the Catechism 2093, and that'll take you. There's a couple different websites that have the full catechism. Yep. It'll take you to that section, and you can see the larger context, you know, of this section. So, what's the the overall section that this is a part of? This is life in Christ. Okay, this is
0: living out the Ten Commandments essentially, in the moral life of the church. The first section is. The foundational, mm-hmm. you know, scripture and tradition in that, and then the, the the second part is the sacramental life of the church. The, you know, the first parts of the creed, and then yeah. the second part is the sacramental life, liturgy, and the third part is the life of living it out, and the cate- in the commandments, and the fourth part is prayer, and they all fit together. So, in this section, we're looking at we're in the middle of the first commandment, and uh, it says that. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them. Now, everyone of us has heard the Ten Commandments from the time we were little kids. And interestingly, Christians get divided over it. They're at each other's necks because they of what it means. And from a Catholic perspective, as well as how I understood it as a Presbyterian, I recognize that the point of this is not about statues. The point about this is about God, one God. And our danger is, in our life, is in this, is we can get caught up into, well, the author of this is describing some of the idols that were kind of floating around Israel back three, 4,000 years ago. No, the problem is right now, as we sit here, we live in a culture in which we are surrounded by idols, mm-hmm. all kinds of other things that are calling us to bow down to them. Yeah. And the biggest danger ain't those statues in a catholic church the biggest danger are those statues we see on tv or the statues yeah. we see all around us mm-hmm. that want to take up our time and our effort to draw our attention away from god
1: yeah it's so easy to point out other people's idols you know but you just have to to recall those times in your life you know you, you can you can be proceeding through your life and feeling like I don't have any idols, you know, I am I trust in the Lord and I worship the Lord, you know, but as soon as we get to a time of frustration or something unexpected happens or we, you know, we are, we find ourselves in a situation that pushes us beyond our comfort zone. That's when you really recognize those more deeply embedded idols you have. It may be the idol of comfort, the idol of proceeding along a life of your own planning you know and not accepting those those uh, monkey wrenches that the the lord sends or allows to be thrown into your plans from time to time. But whatever it is, it's when those those uh, those situations arise that's when you realize, "Oh yes, I too, you know, am a man of unclean hands and impure heart. You know, I too don't trust in the lord with my whole heart. I too have a, my own idols that I have to root out just like everyone else." All the New Testament
0: epistles, which are letters, essentially from bishops, if you will, leaders of local churches, Peter, John, James, Paul, of course, Jude. um, They're writing to Christians, instructing them how to live out the teachings of Christ. That's basically all the New Testament epistles. And usually those epistles... Are written like a Greek letter, or and so it begins with, Hello, I'm Fred, how you doing, Jill, or whatever, you know, and then it ends, you know, praise be to God, or grace and peace, or however they... Mm-hmm. but now they don't all end that way. And one particular letter ends strangely, the first letter of John, after he's waxed so eloquently about love and abiding, and he says, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding to know him who is true, and we are in him who is true and in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then here's how he closes his letter. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, period. Mm. It's like, what? Uh, okay, we're, we're waiting. No, that's the point. Yeah. The true God is Jesus Christ. Keep yourself from anything else that would distract you away Mm -hmm. from idols. And so a part of this, okay, well, how do, if I'm going to keep myself from all these other fake gods and I'm going to focus on God, there's the first commandment. What does that entail? And a part of that, John Mark, as you mentioned before the program, is we're gifted with things called the, Theological virtues, which empower us to do this, okay. Right. And the one that we're going to look at in this section is the
1: third theological virtue of charity. Mm-hmm. Although one thing I will say, so that if you if, again, if you pull up twenty ninety three, you look at this section of the Catechism. We're not talking about uh, too much text here. There's you know a few paragraphs worth of text that that's looking at these theological virtues and while you can separate them out and focus on faith or hope or love and you know these are these are in the new testament i, I don't remember the, the verse where they're they're laid out right. uh, precisely you know but in the tradition of the church the church has recognized these three theological virtues and while you can separate them out it's also helpful to keep in mind i think that they're in one sense they're separate in another sense they're all part of the same thing they're three sides of the same three-sided coin that doesn't make any sense they um they're all through three facets of our relationship with God. You know, they entail different relationships to our human faculties, different ways that grace works on us, but really they're they're part of the same gift of grace. And and the the point that you were bringing up that we were talking about beforehand is that what's interesting about the theological virtues as is what's interesting about grace is that it precedes our action, it prompts our action, it enables our action, but it also points us back toward itself. And so God gives us his grace he gives us the, the roots, the seeds of the theological virtues, the ability to have faith, to hope and to love in our heart to begin with. And that's why we can respond uh, in the moral life. But it's also, it's oriented towards greater faith, hope and love, so this greater relationship with God. So I think it's just helpful to keep in mind the theological virtues, number one, they're gifts from God and and they precede our action, but they're also, they they point to their, towards their fulfillment in this this full relationship with the Lord.
0: And since God's gift of grace uh, never impedes on our freedom, right. there's that that mm-hmm. the mystery of the both hand. Yeah, that you know I often look back on uh, Martin Luther and the Reformation and and uh, and uh, have sympathy for him because he was a- attacking a problem in the church and that we a, a huge problem in the church and one of them one of those was that for a vast majority of catholic christians at the time they weren't catechized very well and the extent of their faith was the externals of the church going on pilgrimages and rituals and and they would go to latin mass they didn't know the latin and they just you know they didn't they're they're empty inside and so luther was attacking a very important thing and that was the necessity of conversion of faith yeah it's just that pushed into a corner it became faith only and mm-hmm. so the, the, the pendulum swung too far in the one direction, which has been dividing us ever since. Mm-hmm. But when you say faith, hope, and love are not three separate things, but pretty much multiple sides of the same coin, yeah. faith cannot be separated from love. That's right. what James is all about. Right. And, and faith cannot be separated from hope,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because hope is assurance of the future, of eternity right. with God. Yeah. And love cannot exist apart from the faith in Christ. as yeah. John says in first John, God is love. You know apart from God no one can love. So I mean it's mm-hmm. they're all interconnected.
1: and even on a, even in a in a weak analogous way on the human level, you know you see these these virtues sort of play out. I mean to to enter into a relationship with another person, you know again it's, there's, there's this mystery even on the human level, how do you trust someone you don't yet trust? How do you enter a relationship with of love with someone that is new to you? You know, how do you how do you get from from A to Z? How do you across that distance? Well, that there's even in human human relationships, there's a bit of this leap of faith, this decision to trust, this decision to, to love, to put yourself out there, you know, to enter into a relationship with another person. Now, of course, on the human level, we're talking about other sinful human beings like ourselves. So we we trust in a relative way, relatively trustworthy people, you know, and we love in a, in the, but on the other hand, with God, when we meet the divine person, that's where we have this opportunity prompted by his grace to give perfect trust, to put perfect hope in him and to love him fully, you know, absolutely. Cause he is the absolute. So when we look at this charity in this specific section,
0: when I, when we're talking about five sins, we're going to get to that in 2094, but in 293, 2093, it talks about this. Faith in God's love encompasses the call and the obligation to respond with sincere love to divine charity. Again, faith in God's love encompasses the call and the obligation to respond with sincere love to divine charity. Here's this relationship we have with God, a gift and our call to respond. If we, on the one hand, fail to recognize our need to respond and we only recognize it's a gift Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that I need to do, then that can lead to presumption Mm can lead to lax faith mm-hmm. it can lead to um, a libertine life. it's all God it's not me right. Right. The other extreme is emphasizing that it's all me mm-hmm. and uh, that's called pelagianism where in other mm-hmm. words it all depends on me right. and, and and my salvation depends on me no it's this unique mysterious, relationship of God's love and our call to respond, our obligation to respond. And it goes on the first commandment and joins us to love God above everything and all creatures for him and because of him. And it gives, and and what's really beautiful is it connects us back to Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and all your soul and your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. Upon your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm more and more convinced that the center of what it means to be a part of the church, we often emphasize, well, you're baptized, you become a mm-hmm. member of the church, or you attend on Sunday. I'm more and more convinced that the, at the core of being an authentic member of the mysterious, of the mystical body of Christ is a changed heart. It's about As it says, these commands should be upon your heart. This faith, Mm -hmm. this hope and love are changed inside. The need for us to be changed during this time of Lent. What's going on in here? Right. What's going on in here? And that brings us to something that I think most of us don't think about, is that this mutual relationship between God's love and our call to respond. Mm -hmm. God loves us first. Scripture says, we love because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. So, I mean, he loved us first, and now it's our obligation to respond. When we think about in Ephesians two eight, by grace we were saved through faith. By mm-hmm. grace we are saved through faith, not through works. The point was that while we were yet sinners, it wasn't because we did good things that awakened right. God's love and he loved us. No. While we were yet lost and into ourselves, he loved us. Mm-hmm. The mystery of that. And now mm-hmm. we're called to respond. Yeah. Okay. The danger is, is not responding. Mm-hmm. Not responding. Not not hearing and following the call of God. Mm. Um, I love that in the Old Testament. I think it's Elijah. Is that where he's sleeping and 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 God calls him at night? And he says, "Hey, you know." And and guy, remember, I, I don't have the story in front of me, but <laughs> in the the prophet is lame. He said, "I didn't, I didn't call you." He said, "Okay, go back to sleep." And then the God calls again. Yeah, uh, uh, what? Who? Me? And the, no, I didn't call you. The point is, it was God calling. Yeah. Do we hear God calling us in the recognition of his love for us? And how yeah. do we respond? And what this points out is that there are five sins in which we sin against God in various ways. Mm-hmm. And as I said, these are pervasive mm-hmm. in the church. And I'm only going to point out, before we get to, I'm going to delay a little bit, John Mark, I'm only going to point mm-hmm. out one area because of time. Okay. And this is the danger of a barrier that can can blindly lead us into these five sins, and that is the context in which we might be living and the danger of that. And what makes me think about—well, if we have time, I'll go to the other one too, but but mm. it reminds me of that when I think about Second Thessalonians 3. It says, Now we command your brothers— In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is living in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Mm. The apostolic tradition that is passed on from Christ to his apostles that are then passed on is the marching orders for us to live. And the danger is that we can be in a context of people that water it down, belittle it, don't think it's important, and pretty soon we can buy into that. Yeah,
1: yeah. These you know these theological virtues, because they're they're talking about our our, our central relationship with God, um, our our response to them, our response to God, is absolutely central and fun and uh, fundamental here, foundational for the rest of our moral life, and we can. We can sometimes get caught in up in the details that are are a step removed from this relationship, you know, the different, different points of morality or points of, of stuff going on in the church. But, you know, at its core, all this is tied back to that I have a fundamental relationship with the Lord um, through his grace, through my baptism. I have a relationship with God. He, he gives me the grace to be able to put my faith in him, to put my hope in him, to, to respond in love. And everything that I do, my whole life, is to be a response to that God who has come to meet me uh, and has loved me first. And so that really does, you know, make us uh, ask this question with with Thessalonians about what what sort of uh, atmosphere do I live in? What sort of environment do I live in? My church, my parish community, my neighborhood, my school, my family. You know, is it a, is it a atmosphere that allows and encourages me to listen? To the call of God and to respond uh, fully, completely, and cheerfully? Um, or is it one uh, that distracts me or that discourages me, that makes it more difficult to respond to the Lord in, in all sorts of ways? I mean, in, in, a, in a very simple and um, maybe um, in, in one, one basic way these days, it may just be that uh, the atmosphere we live in is, is too busy, too noisy. You know, silence. Being able to enter into true prayer is an important part of this. But there are so many aspects of our environment. You know, the the culture that that we're living in, either, either writ large in the in the sense of the whole culture we live in, or our micro culture in our parish or our family. What what are the factors involved in those environments that are either helping us to hear and respond to God, or that are uh, obscuring God's call, His grace that that moves us to love? Um, and makes us, makes it difficult for us to respond in these ways. That's something we have to analyze and we have to always be sort of wary and watchful about. Yeah. One thing I talked about in my last book, Life from Our Land, was this, this idea
0: of being in the soup. Mm -hmm. And it came from the the old image of cooking a frog in a pot, you know, and, uh, And uh, Or all of us floating down the same river, you know, and we're, in, mm. we're encouraged to stay in that good flow because everybody else is here, so we're just fine. Well, the, the danger of that is that we can become blind to how we're getting, getting drawn away from our first call, which is to love God back. Mm. That's our first call, to love mm. God back. hmm anything short of that is we're buying into an idol something else mm-hmm. or maybe nothing at all and one other scripture that i thought i'd draw attention to is second timothy 3 in which he when paul warns understand this that in the last days there will come times of stress for men will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy Inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. Avoid such people. You know, is Paul condemning these people? That's not the point, is that the danger is we get sucked into that soup. Mm -hmm. And if everybody else is doing it, well, I guess it's okay. And then there we are. And in the end, we become blind to our first call, which is to love God back. That's our first call. And so here in this time of Lent, there are five sins that we could be blind to committing partially because of the culture we I mean, I'm, I'm not <laughs> there's the thing we don't want to just oh, it's, its their fault you know nah mm-hmm. it's it's our fault if if we haven't responded to God's call I mean it's yeah. it's us but we have to look at our environment because I the reason I thought it makes I thought it'd feed these things so mm-hmm. John Mark you had said and I think it's a good point that these five things maybe want you go ahead and introduce them to the audience um, that they seem to flow,
1: like a ladder downward, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll go ahead and read this, and then we can uh, we can you know proceed through it. So this is the this is twenty ninety four from the Catechism, and it says one can sin against God's love in various ways. Indifference neglects or refuses to reflect on divine charity. It fails to consider its prevenient goodness and denies its power. Ingratitude fails or refuses to acknowledge divine charity and to return. Him, love for love lukewarmness is hesitation or negligence in responding to divine love it can imply refusal to give oneself over to the prompting of charity acedia or spiritual sloth goes so far as to refuse the joy that comes from God and to be repelled by divine goodness and finally hatred of God comes from pride it is contrary to love of God whose goodness it denies and whom it presumes presumes to curse as the one who forbids sins and inflicts punishments, end quote. So that's this, this summary um, in 2094 of the Catechism of, again, to me, it almost it's a progression of sorts uh, that, that begins at a very subtle failure to respond to God's love. In fact, it's, it's not even an action itself. It is merely an indifference. It it's an it's simply a lack of action, an inaction, but how that uh, pre- proceeds to a greater and greater um, failure to respond, hardening, crystallizing into uh, a willful refusal to respond, even to even to to cast aside God's love in pride.
0: Reminds me a couple weeks ago, John Mark, we we looked at Second Peter chapter one. Mm-hmm. Where it had a progression in the other direction. Right. Which began with faith. So you begin with faith. And if you will, faith is when a person is awakened to the reality of God, creator, Mm -hmm. father, redeemer. Yeah. And then responds. To this call and obedience and puts their faith in that. so there's the beginning yeah. and that comes by grace i right. responded to the awakening which came by grace but then peter says in second peter one um make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control with steadfastness steadfast with godliness Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And so we have this progression in which it calls yeah. us to make effort, growing from faith to love. Right. And here we see the opposite direction. Right. When beginning with the gift of faith, that's the, you got to understand, that's the, the, the context here. He's not talking mm-hmm. about pagans here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about believing Christians who've received grace, who've been baptized, who are changed yeah. new creations, who have faith. And if you don't make that effort mm-hmm. that Peter talks about, if you don't make that e- effort to supplement your faith with virtue, mm-hmm. then what's that old saying we have say a bazillion times from Gary Goulagras,
1: Denmark? Oh, the, in the ways of the spiritual life, he does not progress loses ground. There we go. Yeah. In the ways of the spiritual life, if you don't progress,
0: mm-hmm. you're in this pathway.
1: And, and part of the reason for that is is precisely because of this the scriptural exhortation made in many places that, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. You know, what, what's so scary about this list, as you said, it's not directed to, to pagans. Um, I mean, it's directed to everyone in one sense, but indifference is a much greater sin to the degree that you have been given much. You know, God gives us first the gifts in seed form, in in a small way, these gifts of faith, hope, and love. That's why we have the ability to respond to God. But if he gives us more, if he gives us great faith, a great experience of his love, great reason to hope, you know, a great... Uh, invitation into relationship with him, then that makes our, any indifference that we have, any lack of gratitude, et cetera, all the more serious. You know, it, so again, looking at this as kind of a progression, actually, if we jump down to after this list for a moment, in 2095, uh, the Catechism goes on to say, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity inform and give life to the moral virtues. Um, And so, again, the, the theological virtues, they sort of precede our action. They're God's uh, initial gift to us, his grace working in us. They proceed into our moral decisions. Again, we supplement our faith with with working out our virtue, practicing the virtue, and those proceed on to, to a greater fulfillment of the theological virtues. But what's interesting about this list that we have in 2094 is that, so what if right at the start, in response to this faith that God offers us, this hope, this love, if we are indifferent to it, what does that look like, and then what what spiral, what dominoes does that begin to set up going forward?
0: There's a scene in it just came to my mind a scene in the movie Castaway, mm. uh, that movie where Tom Hanks plays a guy with FedEx or whatever, yeah. and he's he, the, yeah. you know and he's stranded on this island for years. And one of the days he's there, mm-hmm. the the pilot floats up, the dead body of the pilot floats up, yeah. and there he is. And So he drags it over and he buries it. I don't know if you remember the scene, but he's standing above that and you're watching him. And he, he's standing there not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. And after about two seconds of nothing, he kind of gives a little shirk of, oh well, and then moves on. Mm-hmm. You know, the the point is mm-hmm. there's a moment of responding to grace, and how do we respond? You know, we mentioned a moment ago that this doesn't apply to pagans. Well, I mean, it kind of does, but the point is, Mm -hmm. it says in Romans 1 that ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made Mm -hmm. so they are without excuse. So what makes a pagan? We don't stand in judgment. What makes a pagan? God has given everyone sufficient grace to see the evidence of God in creation, as Bonaventure calls it, the vestiges of God are there. Mm -hmm. And so there you see it, and like the Tom Hanks character standing before it for Mm -hmm. a moment, do you see it and respond, Mm -hmm.
1: or is the response indifference? Right. This is why, you know, throughout all of human history and all of our art and our music, uh, just like we see in the Psalms, just like we see in Job, just like we see throughout the Old Testament, every human heart wrestles with this recognition that, on the one hand, life is hard, life is painful, it is toil, it continu- continually threatens to uh, to kill off the the faith and the hope and the love that you have. But you, every human senses that. It, it is some primordial sin even if they have no idea where it comes from they don't have a they don't have a theology they don't have a a, uh, a philosophy that that, that uh, explains it we all sense that it is a a sin to lose hope everyone senses that that it's a sin to fail to love yeah, that it that it, it's a it's a tragedy not to be able to, to trust in other human beings it's a tragedy and, and somehow a fault not to trust somehow that things will be okay. We have this sense of the story that we're in, you know, that that it, it's right to look ahead towards the happy ending, even if we don't know what that would consist of, or if we don't have any basis for that belief, we have that sense in our heart, you know, these again these seeds of faith, hope, and love, that it, it is right to, uh, to hope and to trust and to not just um, be indifferent to those things. And so... Yeah, it's all there, but but the more you're given, the more that you're expected to respond. Yeah, the years ago, I when I was a
0: Protestant minister, one of the other things I did is I would go around to Protestant churches and help start youth programs. And I did that a half dozen or so times way back in the, boy, it was a long time ago in the 80s. But I remember one of the things I would say to the people when they would bring me in that I would, would say, and usually just trying to wake them up a little bit, that really, it's better to not do to not even have a youth program at all, than to have a bad one.
1: Oh, <laughs> that needs to be said more often, but go, go ahead.
0: <laughs> yeah, because if you have a bad program, it, inoc- it can inoculate a person to the faith.
1: Right, right.
0: And the reason I bring this up now is that there's the danger of how indifference mm-hmm. starts mm-hmm. and then can grow and spread and why I say when you go to any church on any given Sunday, 90% of the people, I'm guessing, they're going to mass, going to worship on a Sunday, are guilty of one of these five things. Mm-hmm. Indifference, kind of neglect, and refuses to reflect on the divine charity. Mm-hmm. I mean, just not connected. person fails to consider its prevenient goodness and denies its power. You don't think about it. You don't mm-hmm. reflect on it. It's like walking through nature and not seeing the hand of God, just oblivious to it.
1: Well, I think this connect, you know, the, the, so starting with that first one, indifference, that, that most connects to, you know, the the quote, was that from Timothy earlier, the, holding the form of religion but yeah. denying the power? Yeah. It, it's so easy to feel that you've arrived and that you're doing okay, you're doing well enough, um, but that is to deny the power of religion, to, to deny that at the other end of these actions or these words or these rituals is alive present God, whom you're either growing in relationship with, you're either continuing moment by moment to respond to what he demands of you and invites you to, or you're not. You're becoming more and more indifferent to that. Um, and again, it's 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 not the sort of thing that you can be different to. Again. It, it's it's a it's always a weak analogy, but it's I think it's always helpful to take this back to the on the human level. You, you you always are either growing closer to somebody or farther away. You know, to be indifferent to someone is to be falling away from that relationship. You know, we know this in our family life. You know, many days we often just feel like being indifferent by just not putting in the effort, just not putting in the to that relationship that day, cashing in you know, investing in that relationship just because we're tired or whatever. But we recognize even when we do that, that that in itself is already this failure to respond to a person, to a relationship. Well, how much more so in response to the God of the universe who created us and has a plan for us right now and wants things of us right now to be indifferent to that is already to start down this path that is being laid out here in the catechism. Imagine a door
0: in a, any place. That says, don't go through this door. Don't go through this door. It says right there. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of there and you ignore it for a while. And then pretty soon you kind of open it, you know. And it's, you know, you're not making a big deal. You're not, Mm -hmm. and you're not really going, you got to push it open a little bit. And Mm -hmm. it says, "Don't don't go through this door. And then you push it a little more. And there you are. And push it a little more. Nothing's happened. So you kind of stick your toe through, well, nothing's happened. And then pretty soon you're kind of walking through it, and nothing's happened. Then you walk through it, and the door closes. And there's no knob on that side now. And you can't get back. The reason that image came to me was I looked at these five things, indifference to ingratitude, to lukewarmness, to acedia. They seem very similar. You know, they're there fine lines between being indifferent to the reality of God, eh, ingratitude, okay, I, I'm not, lukewarmness, they've kind of snuck up on you, acedia, there it is, but all of a sudden, <laughs> hatred of God. Mm-hmm. You find yourself have moved so far from God, that the door's closed. I mean, that's yeah. the danger. That you've been so, and and the truth is, you know, God doesn't put anybody in hell. We put ourselves
1: there. Mm -hmm. And I think it's particularly for the the language of this this hatred of God that is coming from pride, this real hardening of pride. We get glimpses of this on the human level again, to, to to use the the weak human analogy. But even the glimpses that we get on the human level are are terrifying. I mean, we've all been in that situation where we're angry at someone. We've been hurt. We're feeling defensive. And in that moment, the idea of reconciling with that person, we, we, you know, it, we can almost imagine doing anything else than looking in that person in the eye and reconciling with them. Once, That's the, go ahead, ben. I was going to say, once you've allowed hatred to grow
0: within you towards a person, it becomes, if you will, a hermeneutic. Mm. It becomes a way of looking at that person. a way of looking at life and it becomes hard to see beyond that because that always comes up in your mind when you've allowed yourself to, to grow. You're indifferent to a person at first, pretty soon, you know, that relationship doesn't pretty soon have gone. If it's gone to hate, if the needle's gone over to hatred, now you're looking at that person through a lens and it's hard to break that lens Mm -hmm. because as you said, to really go back and to say, I'm sorry. It's tough. And, uh, the, what I'm reminded of, maybe drawing to a close, is that in the, the book of Revelation, when John is being commanded to write the seven letters to the seven churches, it's important to see that the first and the last church, the warnings, mm-hmm. in the first church to Ephesus, our Lord says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And so this talks about even as early in in the history of the church of the first generation, there are people that knew people that saw the death of, and resurrection of Christ, but already they've lost that first love. It can happen to them. It can happen to us. And then in the seventh church, to Laodicea, where it says. Um, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. This reminds us that these five things, in a way, are nauseating to our Lord who loves us so much. And so, as we think about this time of Lent, preparing, mm-hmm. we cleaning up by the most obvious things, mm-hmm. but looking at our love for God, Is it active? Mm -hmm. Are we responding to the call? Um, Are we responding to his love with sincere love, to his divine charity? Mm -hmm. Or have we grown cold, Mm -hmm. indifferent? Are we ungrateful? Are we lukewarm, like in that passage Revelation? Are we just lazy? Or have we actually put on the hermeneutic of hatred? of God such that we can't even see God without drawing away from him.
1: And I and I think what's what's interesting to me about pride so you know this hatred of God which is the fifth on this list so it you know mere indifference mere inattention inactivity proceeds to this ingratitude which is really a failure in justice you know because it, it's just for us to to show our gratitude for the things we've been given then proceeding into a lukewarmness well, you know a a, um, a real a more of a spiritual uh, failure to respond to God, proceeding into this real spiritual um, pulling away from God, refusing that joy, you know, resisting that all the way to hatred of God and and this pride. What's interesting to me about that that list too is that you know if we think about what pride means, we tend to think of its active, loud form. We tend to think of the the person with bravado, with who's arrogant, who's standing up. Oh, I'm the best. I don't need God. The other side of pride is also despair despair of God's mercy you know the, the prideful person gets angry and they set themselves apart and they reject God's grace and they say I can do it all all by myself but on the other side of that very close to that within within a breath of that is also this despair that God can forgive me too you know we, we there there's in, in the middle in the center here is the truth about who I am and who God is and pride can reject that in one direction, saying, "I'm better than that," but it also can reject it in the other direction, saying, "No, I, I'm worse than that. I, God could, couldn't forgive me." And so, again, the end of this track, this 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 track that starts with a, an indifference to God's grace, an indifference to that relationship, leads to this place where there's a refusal to accept what God wants to give us, a refusal to accept the truth of His love and of our ability to respond, a refusal. Of that um, and so it's important to remember at any stage wherever we are especially in this time of Lent that um, it is a sin it is the sin against the Holy Spirit to refuse God's mercy to to believe the lie that God can't save me you know that I can't come down from this this hatred of this anger or this pride and accept God's mercy we can you know but we have to start now we have to start here in this moment meeting God and responding To his faith, hope, and love that he wants to give us.
0: So, I suppose, in closing, a way to close us is to encourage us each to to pray during this time of Lent that the Holy Spirit would awaken us to any areas of our indifference, Mm -hmm. any areas in which we're not grateful to God for his love, uh, any areas in which we've grown warm, lukewarm, uh, in which our faith doesn't seem important, our Lord doesn't mm. seem important, or worse, where we've become just lazy, slothful, uh, we don't make the effort that really we really need to, otherwise we mm. would be down that s- slope. And then hopefully none of us have drifted into hatred of God. Mm. And I think particularly, not that we would deny the fact that we could be guilty of this sin, but to prayer for those in our family and friends that, who were not warned, have drifted. And uh, it seems like there's an absolute uh, insurmountable wall between Mm -hmm. them and God. And may the Holy Spirit provide the grace to break through that wall. Maybe even this Easter for some of our friends and family.
1: You know, and it may start by, you know, we hold, we hold up this this list and, and look at our, our specific relationship directly with God, but maybe also indirectly through the other people in our life. In what ways has God tried to come to meet us through those people, in those people, in those situations? And maybe, maybe directly to God where we are not indifferent, but we are indifferent to the ways that he's come to us through this friend or family member that needs us. Or ungrateful or lukewarm etc you know maybe we've made an idol out of our own picture and expectation of who God is and what we want him to be and have ignored and said who he really is and how he has really come to meet us Paul
0: said to the first to the Thessalonian Christians and he said to Timothy about the need to come out of the midst of the environment that draws a person into these sins Well, maybe during this time, we know that in our weakness, we may need to be pulled out of those, but who can we bring with us out of those into the beautiful community of the church so that maybe by grace, they can be awakened
1: to this love of God. Dan Mark, why don't you close
0: us with some thoughts about our work?
1: Sure. Well, once again, you know, we're, we're. Toward the end of Lent here, we're nearing Easter, and this is always an exciting time for us at the Coming Home Network because we are a network of people who came from many different Christian or even non-Christian backgrounds um, and have come to embrace uh, the Catholic faith, the sacraments of the Catholic Church. And for many people, that journey culminates in Easter where they receive their sacraments and they are brought into the full communion with the Catholic Church. And so we have many members of the Coming Home Network who are now in RCAA. They're preparing uh, for Easter. They're preparing to receive their sacraments. Um, and many other uh, other converts who are looking back at this as kind of an anniversary of them when they they entered into the church. And so, you know, if you are a convert, if, you, or if you're someone who is on the journey, you're thinking about becoming Catholic, you're exploring, we'd love to invite you to be part of this community, the Coming Home Network. You can visit www.chnetwork.org for more information about our network, for ways to get involved, get connected, to get the newsletter. Uh, You can also also find more information about this podcast and other great resources um, and opportunities to connect, like our retreats and our pilgrimage and just all kinds of neat stuff. That is at www.chnetwork.org. All right, thanks, John Mark. And thank all of you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. God bless. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, Participate in our online community forum and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.